In a world that is rapidly changing, what should the roles of schools and public education be? What can we do to radically change our education system so that we prepare our students for the future? And what are some of the great schools doing to tackle these issues? Welcome to the Public Schools 360 podcast, hosted by Rana Arshid Hafiz. Today I have with me Chet, Angela, and Daniel for another episode of Public Schools 360, where we talk about public schools in Connecticut. I came across Chet, Angela, and Daniel when they wrote an essay for Team Westport, which is Together Effectively Achieving Multiculturalism, which is a town entity. I'm going to have a conversation about their experiences in Westport Public Schools, specifically at Staples High School, and I want to know how that impacts our educational system. Take it away, guys. Okay. I'm Chet Ellis. I am an African-American student in Westport, Connecticut, which is a 92.6% white town. Being part of a super minority, it's interesting to see kind of the faces that people make when they encounter me, encounter someone so different, someone that contrasts literally everything else in Westport, which is, you know, it's a lot of white, wealthy people. So coming from a little more middle class and African-American background, it was a huge culture shock. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, my name is Angela. I'm an Asian American student and I have lived in Fairfield County for my entire life. So for me, a lot of the culture shock never really took place because a lot of the norms that I was used to growing up living in this area, to me, they like until I learned more about microaggressions and a lot of sort of our underlying issues, I thought they were just normal. And, you know, it wasn't until I dug deeper that I realized that there was like a strong lack of diversity and that was, you know, causing a lot of problems. Hey, I'm Daniel. My parents were born in Venezuela, but I was born here. They immigrated here knowing very little English and they taught me the only language they knew, which was Spanish. And that came with a lot of issues in the public school system, at least when I lived the majority. I lived the majority of my life in Westchester, New York, and only the last four years in like my high school career at Staples in Westport. And, you know, Westchester is a very similar area to Westport in that it's, you know, majority white. There's not really a lot of Hispanic representation there, at least in public schools. And my big culture shock was mostly immediately just going into school. You know, there was a lot of ignorance towards people who just didn't know English. So me, for instance, teachers would not really know what to do with me. They would email my parents saying things that, you know, oh, like he probably has ADHD or he probably has autism instead of saying things like, oh, he just doesn't know English. You know, it's kind of treated like a disease instead of, you know, just someone who needs to learn English. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of what exactly what you were talking about. I was listening to a radio lab not too long ago about the Larry P case, which is a case, if you didn't know, in California, African-American students aren't allowed to take an IQ test, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a super weird thing to have as a law, but then you find it's because old IQ tests used to just be based off of white people. And then African-Americans would be classified as dumber than the white kids simply because they didn't know the culture like white culture to answer those questions in the IQ program. And so now what they talk about is, so a judge back in 19, I want to say 73, said that African-American students couldn't take IQ tests, but they still have people, you know, with Hispanic 
or Latinx origins who don't speak the best English taking that kind of thing. Right. And it just shows our lack, our fundamental lack of misunderstanding. Cause we like to think when we hear other people speak another language or like with a really strong accent, we assume ignorance. We don't assume like, look how brilliant this person is for knowing two languages. Mm -hmm. Most people know one. Instead we, we look over and we say, Oh, why aren't they doing that correctly? Why don't you're in our country? Why don't you learn to speak our language? I think that I don't know how to fix that issue, but I definitely mm-hmm. think it's prevalent. Yeah, it's especially prevalent in ways you don't really think so. It's weird because people who don't really consider themselves to be like racist or like English, like supremacist or something like that, like see themselves as that or ignorant towards people who can't, who have an accent or really impatient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so both of my parents are Chinese immigrants, so you know they had to learn English when they came. And I mean, I didn't have the same issues as you when I went through school. I think I, because yeah, I went to preschool and was exposed to English really quickly, so I picked up that language pretty fast. So luckily, I didn't have to go through any sort of that like ignorance in the school system. But I definitely think that even if it's not something that they talk about, that my parents have also face that sort of language barrier because you know I think if people speak with like European accents you have like that one impression of them but you know if they speak with like you know Spanish accent Chinese accent or you know Indian accent yeah Indian accent too like they're viewed completely differently and you you do have to wonder why that's the case so talk a little bit about your experiences at Staples which is considered one of the best high schools in Connecticut Staples, the rigor of the schools, amazing. I, I think they offer a lot of AP classes, mm-hmm. which we are very fortunate to have. But also they offer a lot of white faces and a lot of the same kind of culture that follows along with that. It's a lot of super rich, cheap driving, you know, kind of, I don't know, you see, you don't see a lot of unique faces and people in Westport just because there's this, it's such a white culture. I don't know if that makes any sense. I just... yeah. No, it's yeah, like, uh, yeah, I'd say it's pretty like homogenous sort mm-hmm. of space. And like, I guess if we're talking about classrooms specifically, like people are generally afraid to talk about race or anything that's sort of related mm-hmm. to like something, I guess, controversial. I mean, I didn't really have like, I wrote about in my essay, I didn't really have a discussion about sort of race and racism and like what people are facing until this past year in my English class, you know, and like Westport definitely like strong school system like great classes great teachers but I do think that we are lacking a bit more in terms of sort of these like discussions about social issues and problems that you know you'd rather not talk about but you have to talk about I think with social issues I got we got a lot of kind of I had a teacher Miss Shager for two years and you know you get you learn all about social issues around the world and you learn about everything. But the one thing that Staples really hasn't touched upon, at least in my experience, is really there's no race. There's nothing of the sort, right? They hired, they only have one full-time African-American teacher. Mm-hmm. The readings on rate. So I did my internship in the middle school. And during my internship, I asked these kids a question, name one civil rights leader aside from MLK. And then like, what's their life like? What do they do? And not a single kid in the room could tell me. And then one of the other interns said, come on guys, Malcolm X, he was the head of the Black Panther Party. 
which is just not correct, right? It's Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale. And just like the basic fundamental lack of knowledge, like we can tell, we can go back and list so many other irrelevant things in history, so many other things that don't pertain to modern day, while race is just something that the Westport School District at least glances over, Mm -hmm. at least in my experience. And I also feel that there's, I don't know, at least for like a whole majority of my life, I thought that, oh, I've lived my whole life here. Like, like I'm not white, but I'm basically white. Like I know, I know all, like I know you, like I know how to talk to you. Like we, we get along, right. It wasn't until I guess like junior, senior year when, when, you know, people really started developing and, and like making these social clicks where I, I realized, you know, like even adults, like I'm so not like you, <laughs> like, my, like my experiences are way different. We value completely widely different things. Mm-hmm. I don't know, even talking to the teachers, you know, they're, they're always like, where are you from? I'm like, bro, I was born in New York. I'm just like you. <laughs> like, but no, it's like, they want the kind of like the, the real answer. Like, well, my parents were born in Venezuela and I guess I'm kind of, I'm kind of that. Cause I'm, I'll come from them. But you know, for me, it was always a struggle. It was always like, you know, who, like who, not who am I, but where am I from? Like, I was born in New York. I'm like too too Hispanic to be a New Yorker or a, someone from Connecticut. And you know, you ask my my cousins who live in Venezuela, like they're like, "Bro, you're not Venezuelan. You're so not us." You know what I mean? It's like almost like I'm between two two cultures. It's weird. Yeah, definitely. There's like no sense of belonging, at least for me. No, I definitely feel that. I wrote in my essay about an experience I had. Like I was just at a restaurant one night, and then. Someone comes up to me and grabs me like mm. in the like uncomfortable way. It's like, where are you from? And like, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, Westport, right? Like that's where I'm from. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I was in a restaurant out of town, right? So Westport. It's like, no, no, no. Like, been all over East Asia. Where are you from? And then I'm just like, like when that happens, like you're expected to say like, you know, like China, like whatever country you're from, but. Like, deep down, you know that's not true. But, like, I completely get what you're saying when you feel that awkward. Like, like I am. I was born in this country, so I'm, like, fully American. But, like, at first <laughs> glance, like, people just don't expect that to be your answer. Yeah, even for immigrants like me, I migrated to this country, but I have lived longer in the United States than anywhere else. I haven't gone back to India in 23 years, 24 years now. Mm. So, like, you know, when people ask me, and I, you know, it is, it is a hard thing to answer, like, where am I from? I'm from Westport, Connecticut. <laughs> but why is it important to understand diversity? Well, I mean, we're, like, we're only becoming more and more, like, globalized, more connected. Like, you're just going to be meeting so many different people throughout the course of a lifetime. And, like, especially diversity from a young age, like, I think it's so important that, especially in this era, like, kids need to, like, grow up learning that, like, you know, we're, we're all kind of the same. Like, you know, you shouldn't treat people differently because of this and that. And especially in, you know, Westport, where, like, when you go outside, like, most people, like, look, like, or have, like, a very similar, like, skin color or whatever, right? It's important that schools sort of promote the diversity that say, you know, maybe the people that you surround yourself with can't necessarily, like, share. But schools definitely are a great tool to do that. I think diversity is important because of mostly, I think it eradicates stereotypes. Yeah. Like, and stereotypes can be really like, you know, like microaggressions. Mm-hmm. 
like for instance like someone asking me like you know like oh like do your parents have visas like are like how, like what's their status you know like kind of asking things like that especially in like today's climate it's like so not okay to ask things like that and people just don't really understand there's kind of like a, i feel like with more diversity be like wow that's like a really messed up question because you know we got you know people in power being like oh we need to send them back we need to build the wall you know do all these things and you know that affects my life that affects my parents life people like people who talk to my parents are like yo so like are you safe and stuff like yeah we're completely fine mm-hmm. like shut up like <laughs> yeah. i've noticed with diversity but with what kind of you guys were talking about with the lack of diversity there's this tokenism right mm-hmm. where since you're the only person you're the only experience that other people like other white people have with your race, right. with whoever right, you right. are. And then they carry with them those kind of the stereotypes or whatever they think about your, your race. But what's tricky is like, I know a lot of the times they know what they're doing is wrong. Right. In examples, like, you know, people openly saying the N word around me. Right. If it's with the tokenism, if it's just me and I'm the only person calling it out, then that's, that's hard on me. Right. Cause that's hard for, I kind of talked about this in my essay, but when you're the lone wolf, you can't really stand up for yourself. Right. right. Yeah. Because you're going, you're going so hard against the grain. And especially us being like teenagers, you know, the whole thing about teenagers trying to fit in. And when you're so, you so obviously don't fit in, then calling more attention to that by saying, hey, you have to watch your words around me is a hard thing for anybody to do. They talk about there's this amazing singer performer, Sammy Davis way back when and sammy davis is notorious for giving ronald reagan a giant hug and everybody called him you know an uncle tom or this or that because he was but and then you look at his uh, he had a celebrity roast and just like it was the most racist things you've ever heard from all the top celebrities at the time and you you look back at that and sammy davis had to endure that in order to fit in he had to do that and since there was nobody else to to stand out with him he was just subject to that on his own. And so I kind of felt that in Westport, it's the same type of thing. If I'm with a couple of black people, someone wouldn't dare come around and say, you know, here's the N-word or here's something racist or here's something Mm. this or that. But then when they're not around or when it's just you or when there's such a small minority of you, then people feel more open to, hey, let let me push the waters. Let me toe the line until until I can say, hey, you're being sensitive. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I definitely relate to that because like I've definitely felt the pressure at times to not be like like the sort of cultural like that girl, that like social justice like warrior or whatever who like calls calls someone out for saying something that's not right. Like it's like a very hard thing that when you're like one of the only people of like your race or who can like say stuff about it to be the one who calls it out because you don't want other people to talk about like you know, you being that, like, really, like, annoying person who, all, like, the, like, PC, like, special snowflake with, like, quotes. And, like, uh, there's that strong pressure to, like, find that middle ground between, like, what other people are comfortable with you saying and what you actually want to say, which is, you know, like, I completely feel what you're saying with that. Yeah. Do you think social media is changing some of these values or is it, exacerbating the problem or how do you it's changing it in in the type of way that you have more access so people in community like you know me with not a lot of african-american people i can go on social media and i can find a community that's more representative of myself and my views 
But what that also does is, on the other hand, it can reinforce some of those views for people that are on the other side. If then, like a, a white person who hasn't met an African-American talks to more white people that haven't met African-Americans online, that's where you get you know, a cycle of bigotry and a cycle of hate that can be really dangerous and detrimental to the world. Yeah, so there's a pretty big Facebook group called Subtle Asian Traits, has like million members, and it was started in Australia. And it's basically like a lot of like posts are just about, you know, like eight things that like a lot of Asian people can relate to. And for me, like when I joined, I was like, oh, wow, like, where has this been most of my life? Because, <laughs> you know, like I, I can't make these jokes with a lot of the people I'm around or like, you know, talk about certain experiences. So on one hand, like it really brought brings people together and I think it is really positive but you know in the same line right um not everyone in the Facebook group is Asian because right you can add anyone you want and it might also reinforce a lot of stereotypes for some people if they you know don't understand like the culture or whatever as well I think there's also like when you like say on Instagram right like you're a lot of people like a lot of the photos you see I think social media also like put some pressures on like beauty standards when it comes to that you know like there's a lot of colorism in a lot of our cultures and so you know on social media like that definitely exacerbates it when you can you know make your skin lighter or like mm-hmm. change things here and there i've actually seen an interesting thing it's the new darker look you know how that's the whole thing now like if you see like how dark ariana grande's gotten or like with tanning or? With, with, with like you get to a point where it's so tan, it's no longer natural. Oh, it's like you're dark. Okay. You know? Yeah. And so there is this weird, there's this push, especially in the black community, right? Where they talk about like team light skin versus team dark skin. All these really dark women are just like, they are people make jokes, people like all over Twitter and all that kind of thing that dark women are the least attractive women. And that's terrible. I know some friends of mine african-american women who are just so incredibly hurt by that those kind of memes even if they seem innocuous Mm -hmm. at first glance Mm -hmm. but you see also this push towards the you know this push towards biracial which is interesting i don't know how it's happening but there's this kind of like oh she's mixed that's a mixed girl oh that's so good almost right and you have these it's a weird balance that i see going on right now instead of the push towards super white which i don't know how that happened or what catalyzed this but Right. It's just weird. Some of it is making it exotic, right? Yeah, I the think so. Infatuation exactly. with the exotic. You're exotic, but you're also not too far away. You're still, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, you're still part of my culture. Mm-hmm. You're still white, but you have this extra little spice in you, like an extra little flair. Yeah. yeah, I mean that sort of like, like exoticism of like foreign cultures. That's definitely something that like comes up a lot when Asian Americans talk about what they have to deal with. Um, just because, like, just throughout history, like, you just see that, like, like Asian Americans are, like, the foreigners and, like, the exotic. And you have, like, you know, Broadway plays and musicals written about, like, going to this, like, foreign land and, like, meeting that, like, Asian woman. So, no, I, I haven't heard about this movement or, like, these, like, oh, that, that's interesting. But I don't really know how I feel about that. Yeah. You can see it if you, if you pay closer attention to it. It's, like, you have people now and they're darkening themselves or like they're it's not that they want to be black or they want to be because like being black in america is frankly like awful especially at this time i mean we have a great community but like you know i wish Mm -hmm. i wouldn't wish it upon anybody right there was this little girl who won an essay contest actually who it was 
the question was, it was I think it was like 1940 something or so, or so. And it, the question was asked, what would you do to Hitler? What would be a good punishment for Hitler? And then she said, turn his skin black and have him live in America for a day. Right? <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, that, you know, that really sticks out to you. That, that's like clearly shocking, but things are hard, but people like to trivialize it and be like, oh, but African-Americans have this thing. Oh, oh, I want that little spice of dark. I want to pick and choose. Afri- we know African-Americans are getting killed by the police more. They're, they're not going to college as much. They are so much poorer than their white counterparts. But you guys getting into college a little bit easier. Let me, why is that? Why does that happen? Well, it doesn't really. It's a hard system, all that kind of stuff. And we like to say, look at what, whenever African-Americans gain something, that something is lost from another group. Yeah. Which I think is a dangerous way. You definitely see these comments in Westport for sure about like, oh, but like, you know, like you have an edge in college admissions. Like, like, is that really like what, what's, What's at stake? Like, why are you telling me that? (laughs) So, edge in college admissions is having your grandparents be super duper rich, live in Westport, you know, exactly, and and you be fourth generation Princeton. Like, that's a leg up. I like. I don't know. I tell sometimes. I tell people like, what college I'm going to. It's not that. Not that it's all that, right? But they'll look at me. They'll be like, oh, and they'll be like, oh, like it's because. They'll sometimes tell me like, oh, yeah, so you pulled like the the brown card or whatever, the I speak like my parents are immigrants card. And people think that, you know, just being a minority is like a free leg into college. Like, I'm not sure if it actually helps, but I got rejected by more places than I got into. (laughs) You know, I think it's unfair. I think it's really unfair how people will take away from your achievements also because you're a minority. Mm. It's, I don't know, I think I always thought that was so crazy to me. And, you know, I've become so used to it where I'm even guilty of, oh, yeah, I'm brown, so I'm going to college, guys. Like, like and it's really not, I don't, I really don't think it's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Uh, I had a similar experience, but it's about like women in STEM. It's like, like, I'll like apply to a STEM program. And if I get in over, you know, some like male counterparts, like, Oh yeah, like they need more girls anyway. You know, like mm-hmm. oh, you're really good. No, I, I'm qualified. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So definitely, like when you know people make these remarks, and like then you get used to them too. Mm-hmm. Like, like you you just get used to being around. Like yeah, like and then you like like it just becomes like something you hear a lot, and then you know you get used to it, and then maybe like jokingly, like you'll say something like that, even though like it. Like it's yeah. It's also there's also a lot of envy. Like I feel like a lot like even parents who talk to me, like sometimes I was talking about like the the first generation event because my parents they went to they went to school in another country, so I'm considered here a first generation student. Like a, a parent, like someone I barely know, is like, well, that's kind of cheating, isn't it? Right, that you're considered first generation. I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the yeah. college is so different here than anywhere else. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, like for my parents, like college is right next to the, their high school. <laughs> like, you know, it's just so it's so bizarre to me, like how you can be so envious and so like, like, well, let's let's be honest. Like, I just never understood that. Yeah. How does how do your experiences impact the learning environment in school? I mean, when you think about your own learning, how did this impact 
how does this impact the way you are learning? Does it, first of all? And if it does, how? Oh, yeah, it does. But, like, in different ways. Like, we in English class, we were, my teacher mentioned something about how, like, if you're, like, the one, like, like, like the token, like, Asian person or whatever in the class, and, like, teacher, for example, like, I had a teacher who's, like, brought up the Harvard admissions lawsuit case and then asked me how I felt about it. Right? So definitely in those situations, you feel, like, the pressure of representing, like, your, like, entire, like, you know, like, I felt the pressure of, like, representing, like, all Asian people when I spoke, you know, yeah. like, that's, <laughs> right, like, yeah, like, so there's definitely that sort of, like, it didn't negatively impact my learning in any way, like, I still, like, can't learn stuff in the class, but, like, at that moment, it was really, like, like, like I really didn't know what to do. But then when people, like, make remarks in class or say things here and there, some of them, like, are hurtful and, like, do sting. And then, like, it, it really, like, dampens your mood for the day. Yeah. My education wasn't so much as effective. Like, obviously, my for my first part, like, my elementary school years were affected because I was put into all these special classes just because I didn't know English. But uh, <laughs> my, mostly my the thing that affected me the most was just the my guidance counselor kind of at giving me the form that, you know what to do if your parents are illegal because then I was like oh so like you're not gonna help me out at all <laughs> like I'm, I'm on my own on this I uh, think schools can definitely like improve like teacher training and maybe because I think a lot of situations right teachers may say something and they don't yeah. realize it or maybe teachers don't right, know right. like how to step in if a student says something and so yeah there's definitely like teachers can get involved in you know making the environment much more diverse and friendly yeah so what can schools do just a wrap-up comment on what schools can do and how has this informed you for the rest of like you know how you carry yourselves as students or the work you'll do in the future what schools can do for what i think is they could bus they could diversify schools by force i know people say that will push more kids into private school and you know i think if that's the case then so be it but there needs to be an aggressive push for diversity. We can't sit mm-hmm. around and say, ah, there's no diversity in Westport. Uh, what can we do about the diversity in Westport? And then the answer really is, and then they do nothing, right? There needs to be some kind of step. And I think busing with its contentious history is an aggressive option. Well, seen as an aggressive option for some people, but in reality, they found that integrated schools everybody the black kids do much better the white kids do better long term and they see no negative impact at all from having more african-american students in their classroom so i think that is one realistic option that westport needs to consider more more than having like the you know four kids busting from bridgeport we could have more we could have a sizable population i mean i mentioned teachers like right earlier so definitely like definitely talking to teachers about this, getting them more informed. I included this bit in my essay it was because I believe California, so they started putting LGBTQ-friendly textbooks in the classroom, right? Because a lot of their history often gets glanced over in curriculums. So, like, definitely I feel like schools can, you know, get more involved in, like, the content we learn, right? We don't really talk about, like, contemporary racism in schools, right? We talk about slavery and we talk about the 1960s and that's really it. So like changing curriculums as well to, you know, be more inclusive and also address these topics as well, I think is something that we can do. I just mostly what I'm looking forward to is more like, like ESOL representation, Mm -hmm. more Hispanic representation. 
and especially in like high positions in, in the school system where it feels like, I don't know, when I'm talking to, to somebody about an issue or something and they're, and like you can kind of tell like they so don't get it. I need someone who really, I need someone who really gets it. And I feel like the only way to really get it is to be, you know, one of us. Actually informed me that it's especially these last two years, it was really like a lot of time for reflection for me at least. And mostly it, it kind of opened my eyes to like, yo, you, you are so different. Like you're so different from most of the, the, the white majority community. And it also reminded me that, you know, it's okay. So going into college, I'm going to be looking for more of, I think, my people joining kind of these Hispanic groups. You know, I'm looking forward to studying abroad in Hispanic countries and even learning more about myself right now because, you know, after realizing that uh, I'm not this one thing, <laughs> which I illusioned myself that I was, I have this whole other part of me to explore and I'm really excited. Yeah, no, I think similar thing happened for me, right? Because like when you look into this, like it, before I was always like confused why like things were happening, why like I was treated this way. But then right when you like dig deeper into like researching microaggressions and like a history of like Asian Americans, you know, things start to become clearer. And definitely like in these past few years, I've definitely become tr- more involved in trying to fi- like understand like this culture that I'm a part of also being more proud of it too instead of you know seeing it as sort of this thing that made me different but embracing it I'm not sure what I want to do in college (laughs) and out of college yet but I definitely am also looking forward to being in a much more diverse place where you can have these conversations more being able to connect with different people and I mean, I don't know. I might find myself in some like activism group. Like that's definitely like the past few years something that I've gotten interested in and might consider. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys, for making the time to have this very important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.